Come, let's get ready to listen to God's word. Uh, let's invite our speaker for this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your people. Thank you for their, for their commitment and faithfulness to you, to your presence, to your word, Lord. Lord, as we speak uh, and as we, as we listen to your word this morning, Father, bring to life the word in front of us. Many of us have, have weights on our heart that could possibly be uh, distracting us or dissuading us from giving our full attention, but only you can captivate thoughts, Lord. So I pray, Father, that this morning you would speak straight into the spirit, straight into the heart, Lord, that we may know. Give us, uh, enlighten our minds, give us light in our hearts, Lord, so that we may know the love of Christ, know the, 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 the value that you have placed upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And today we're back in uh, the word, and I want to work through John 17 with you over the next year. I want to chew it slowly. I don't, I don't want to rush through it. So as we go through it, I, I, I hope that you uh, will really delve to the next level, delve down, delve down deep into the next level of, the, of just the face value of that, of that high priestly prayer. There is so much in this prayer. There is so much to learn. And if you, if you do yourself the favor of reading the entire chapter in one sitting several times over, like read it once today, and then after three, four days, read it again. And after a few days, read it again. So that's when the scripture begins to really set, sit and the Holy Spirit can take the word and kind of bring it to you, back, back to you. And it, it illuminates the scriptures that is already in you. Uh, trust me when I say that whatever we hear, either from scripture or from uh, the sermon on a Sunday morning, by Tuesday, it's gone. It's gone. So we need to give ourselves that uh, thing. So this morning, I in time out, the daily devotion, I, I actually read, through, read uh, John 17 for you. I trust that you had an opportunity to do that. Let's begin. If you were to give the series a name, I would call it either the High Priestly Prayer of Christ or the Greatest Advocate, the Greatest Advocate. Jesus is our Greatest Advocate. So having someone in a place of power, of influence, I repeat, having someone in a place of power and influence hugely affects our confidence, our confidence levels. Having someone in a place of power and influence hugely affects our confidence. When you know there is someone who's speaking up for you, whether wherever it matters, whether it's in it's talking to the principal for you or whether it's on, on, on a board of directors, or whether it's in the law court, or a search committee, or to somebody you love when someone speaks on your behalf to someone you love, someone you're trying to make friends with, you're trying to reconcile with. It changes your confidence when you have somebody who's speaking for you, somebody who's supporting you, vouching for you. You know, many of us believe in God, but we don't believe in ourselves. We have great confidence in God, but we don't have great confidence in ourselves. And we doubt any good reason why God would answer our prayer. Why God would favor us. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Does God answer my prayer? Oh, we struggle. We struggle. And we immediately relate it because of the religions around us and the whole good works, bad works, and performance thing, we immediately related to if I've been a good boy or a bad boy, if, if I've been naughty or nice, 
And our prayer life is oftentimes, you know, uh, a reflection of how good we think we are or our confidence levels. And that's where I want us to go to another level. Your prayer life will be radically altered. I repeat, your prayer life will be radically altered when you realize what John 17 is really all about. You will be set free. You'll become a prayer champion. You'll become a prayer warrior when you understand the depths of John 17. We often feel guilty because we have done stuff and we avoid prayer and we think it's pointless. Why should I say anything? Why should I, why should I even go to God in prayer? Why should I express my desire when I know God is angry with me or when he's upset with me? And we play that performance game and we lose out, we lose out, we lose out. But did you know, right here, here on earth, Jesus began his advocacy for us. He was so sure, Jesus was so sure that nothing would stop him reconciling us to God through his own sacrifice, that he prayed this amazing prayer on our behalf even before he went to the cross. So if you get what is going on here, it will change the way you pray and the confidence with which you approach God. Plus, you're going to learn a whole lot more about God, about heaven, about your future, and about your inheritance right here in John 17. But let me begin by telling you what happened just before the prayer in chapter 16. The disciples are very confused. Because Jesus, instead of talking victory and, and, and invasion and overtaking, he's talking suffering. He's, Jesus is, is mentioning a whole lot of this suffering business. And he's like, they're very confused about that. And he keeps reiterating how they should pray during suffering, how they should pray and how they should develop. He's taught the Lord's Prayer and he's constantly giving them this understanding of go back to God, ask in his name, uh, uh, pray to God. So far, they, they didn't, they, so until that point, they didn't have direct access to God. But now he's saying, I'm giving you a name, the name of Jesus. So far, you never asked in my name, but now ask in my name. So a radical alteration of the, uh, of the, of the journey from, from, from where I am to the presence of God, from who I am to who Christ is. That radical journey, that amazing journey is, is changing for the, for the Jewish believer to the New Testament believer. Before you would go in and the priest would go ahead of you and go in your name. Today, the veil of the temple is open. There is no priest. You are a high, you yourself are a priest. And now you are going into the presence of God and you have direct access. How? By that name, by that name. Now we can even paganize that understanding. That the name of Jesus has not been given to us as a swear word for sure. It has not been given to us as a mystical word. It's not, a, it's not a, to chant that the number of times you say, Jesus, 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 is going, to, is going to work. This is not it. It's not mystical. It's not a formula. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you can say it 40 times and not mean it and not know the depth of it. And you could say it once and fire can fall from heaven. It's not about formula. It's not about mysticism. It's not about chanting. It's not about uh, a secret uh, formula. It is identity. It is identity. So then disciples, 
they make this groundbreaking statement because they finally figured it out. And, and, I, and I don't even know if they knew the significance of the statement that they make back in, uh, in, in uh, John 16. They say, now we know that you know all things. And this is why we believe you came from God. This is why I believe you came from God. That's it. It all boils down to this one central truth that Jesus was the way to the Father. Ask me why? Because Jesus came from the Father. How can we have eternal life? How can we go to God? That was the heart cry of the Jew. He wanted to obey the law. He wanted to do everything right. He wanted to live uh, for the Sabbath and for the, for the laws and for so that he can have eternal life. The rich man came to Jesus. How can I have eternal life? The Nicodemus came. How can I have eternal life? Everybody wanted to know how can I live not forever in this world, but how can I live in fellowship with God? How can I go to heaven? How can I be forgiven of my sin? How can I have eternal life? And the answer to that is one thing, and that is the only person who can take you to heaven is the one who has come from heaven, which means you have to believe he is come from there, which means he pre-existed. He has come from there, which means he is God. He has come from there, which means he can take you back there. So it's when you say the name, you're talking about a person, you're talking about the identity of the person, and you're talking about your identity in that person. And once you understand this, this by the, by the way is introduction. So we're gonna work this out. Once you understand this, it will radically change your life. That Jesus was the way to the Father because he is the one who came from the Father. He's the only one who knows. Some people ask the foolish question, is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way to God? Is Christianity the only way? Is, uh, why do you say only Jesus is the truth? Well, Jesus is the only one who's come from him. Nobody claimed to come from him. Nobody's claiming to go to him. Nobody's claiming to take you to him. Nobody's claiming to forgive your sin. He is the only one. So to ask that question is redundant. He is the only one who offers it and makes it even possible. This conviction will bring about some serious opposition and even persecution when the disciples actually hit it. So let's, let's, let's hit the ground running. And today I want to attempt just eight verses and let you go. John chapter 17 verses one through eight begins by saying, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven when Jesus had spoken these words. So ask the question, Pastor Jerry, what, what words? What did Jesus say? What was his words? So for that, you have to go back to John 16, verses 32 and 33. Two verses. John 16, verses 32 and 33. Behold, the hour is coming. Time is coming. Indeed, that hour is come. When you will be scattered, okay, each to his own home and will leave me alone. You're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me. Yet. I am not alone. Why? For the Father is with me. I have said these things to you. There you go. I've said these things that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome them. These are the words that he had spoken to the disciples. And he says, after these words, go back to verse one of chapter 17. After these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus prays, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. When you and I pray, we close our eyes. I think maybe because we were taught to close our eyes so that we could uh, concentrate better. 
otherwise we'll keep looking at the biscuits and the food around us uh, but when jesus spoke when jesus prayed he would look up into heaven uh you know why because he knew where his father was he knew where the god he was talking to was and he looked up and he would talk directly to god and he would talk to his father i don't know if i'm going to do that uh i might people might think i'm crazy if i look at the sky and start talking um but this is not a radical difference i mean i close my eyes you know i go into and i'm trying to concentrate but jesus opened his uh, lifted up his eyes to heavens there's this phrase in the bible of lifting up your eyes he says you lift up we lift up, uh, somebody even read it this morning psalm 15 and and there are other psalms i will lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes the hills in the old testament and in the psalms often represents the meeting place of god you know zion sinai the meeting place of god i will lift up my eyes to the hills and when you say lift up my eyes to the heavens that is the dwelling place of god the dwelling place of god did you get that the hills the meeting place of god and the heavens are the dwelling place of god so he lifts up his eyes and he prays father the hour is come glorify your son that the son may glorify you immediately you and i have to stop and say what does glorify mean because we have changed the name we have made it uh, make famous we have made the word glory or glorify to be fame and 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 um, and 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 popularity and uh, success or oh, he was glorified and he was he was made great but the word glory simply means weight the word glory simply means weight so when he says glorify me again it means that jesus had given up some of his weight so you go back to psalm 8 and you go to philippians 2 and you understand that jesus who he was gave up he did not uh, thought think it equality to hold on to god but emptied himself and became nothing and even tasted death for the for the sins of man so he became nothing now restore me to that place now why is he praying to god why can't he do it himself he is god well we don't understand this whole trinity business and we don't know how this whole thing works but he shows the headship of god he showed that all things he does and all things he receives is from god so that you and i can begin to think in the same way now next time you have a need next time you want something next time you want success next time you need uh, god to help you go straight to god and you ask for his will so jesus sets that example father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given i hope you're concentrating i hope you have a pen and i hope that you're looking into the scriptures and not at my face that won't help at all at all so jesus addressed god as father what did jesus say he said father now what what what's the point of that he's coming from a vantage point of a son he's coming from a vantage point of a son so when you come as a son you're not coming as an employee you're not coming as a slave you're not coming as one who, uh, who's wretched and needs mercy you're walking into the house as you look up love up to the heavens you're walking into the house of god into the presence of god as a son now what is a son got he's got rights a son has got ownership a son has got delegation he's he he he, he has he has access he has any time access into the father's arms into the father's presence now he says give me back that 
I gave it up for a little while so that I can die for these CL people. I gave it up for a little while so that I can bring these people back to you. I've done it. I've done it. I want to come back home. I want to be back where I belong. I want to be with you. Glorify your son. So the focus is on sonship. The word for glorify also means to finish. Finish the plan. Let's complete this process. Let's restore my position. Let's restore my proximity. Then he says, since, underline that word. Why should you glorify me? Why should you uh, fulfill the plan? Since you have given me all authority and you have given me people. Two things, you have given me authority and you have given me people. So all authority over all flesh and all whom, those are people, and all whom you have given him, right? So these are two uh, things that he's asking for back. Now, why, Jesus, do you want your authority back? Why do you want your position back? All authority over all flesh. What do you want to do? What do you want to give to all flesh? Go to the next line. It says to give eternal life. So you not only sent me down here to give my life, I've done that. To be raised again, I've done that. Now restore me to heaven so that from the throne, I might dispense eternal life to all those whom you have chosen, whom you have given to me. I need to finish this. I'm not just dying. I didn't just die for sin. I died in order to live so that I might give life. I'm going to repeat that. I hope it come, the lights come on. I didn't just die to cover sin. I died so that I might rise again, so that I might give life. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die. Jesus died. Now that the wages of sin has been paid, the gift of life can be given. So now who's going to give me the gift of life if Jesus stays dead? So he has to come to life. Jesus comes back to life. And now he dispenses life from where? Not from uh, Golgotha, not from Mount Sinai, not from the Mount of Olives, but from the very throne of God. Father, take me back. I want to start, I want to start dishing out eternal life to everyone. I want to start giving. You have given me authority over all flesh. Whoever comes to you, I will give them eternal life. What is eternal life? Verse 3. This, this is eternal life that they may know you. Brothers and sisters, this is how simple the gospel is. This is it. It's not about God's forgiveness of sin. It's about your knowledge of God, that you can know God in the same way that he knows you. It's about the restoration of innocence. It's about the restoration of the Garden of Eden and the fellowship that man, uh, God had with Adam, Adam had with God. So that you may know God like God knows you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God wants you to know him just like he knows you? God wants you to be close to him just like he is close to you. God wants you to have access to him just like he has access to you. God wants you just God wants you to want him just as much as he wants you to give them eternal life. What is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That is the gospel. What is the gospel? That they may know the Father and that they may know him through Christ. The name, the name, the name. That they may know the Father and that they may know him through Christ. Jesus means Savior. Messiah means sent one. The sent Savior. That they may know you, you through me. And you are in me. So by knowing me, I hope you're listening. By knowing me, you know the Father. By knowing me, <clears throat> you have 
access to the Father. By praying in my name, you have what you pray for. Amazing. That they, who's they? That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So we come back to the day. He says, I have glorified you on earth. So that's why give me back my position. I want to start dishing out eternal life. Verse four, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. How do you glorify God? How do you glorify God? By finishing what you have been given to do. By finishing his work, by completing his purposes, by pleasing him in all that he has asked you to do. Verse five, and now father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is a long-term relation. This is going back a long way. I did this for before the world existed, before the foundation of the world, the lamb of God was slain. From that point, he has been the lamb. He has been the lamb. From that point, he has been the lamb. Till the point you saw it on the cross, he was the lamb. But the day he rose again, he became the lion of the tribe of Judah. From the day he rose again, he now is savior and king back on his throne, ready to dispense the life that God the Father has given him authority to give. I have glorified you on earth. How? By finishing the work you gave me. I'm coming back home. Why? To be with you. Now, I want to do what you have called me to do. As if to say, the cross wasn't it. You and I simply focus on the cross. I, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died for my sin. I did a lot of wrong things and Jesus died for Khatam. Finished. The story finishes there. The moment we got Easter, Jesus rose again. Okay, bye. Okay. No, the story begins as Jesus rises again. The gospel begins with the resurrection, not the death of Christ. I mean, there's no resurrection without death, right? Neither for you nor for Jesus. So the gospel begins, the gospel story begins with Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I, uh, one of my uh, recent, uh, one of my uh, first people that I was discipling many, many years ago, back in 93, 93, 94, 95, was Jonathan Williams. And uh, the precious... Uh, spiritual son uh, of the faith and I, I, I walked him through walked with him through many difficult times and he lost his life this past week and uh, so I just and he was part of the youth group and my first youth group my first youth ministry which is called Hearts Ablaze many many years ago and uh, so I was grieving that and, and I just said on Facebook you know a Hearts Ablazer has gone to be with Jesus and somebody asked me <laughs> They didn't, they didn't understand that I meant he died. So he's with Jesus. So the focus became not that he died, but that Jesus lives. Not that Jonathan died, but that Jesus is alive. So for you can die. And if you die, John chapter 11, you will live. But there's no point you living if Jesus isn't alive to have a relationship with him. The gospel begins with the resurrection of Christ and that he has uh, he has conquered death. So what did Jesus accomplish? Write this down. Number one, Jesus revealed personal access to God. If you're writing, taking notes, let me give you a chance to write this down. Jesus revealed personal access to God. Nobody else gives you that. Jesus revealed personal access to God. 
who to whom does he give this access number one people who the father gives him people who the father gives him the bible says that the father is the seeker god the father is the one seeking people are not seeking him john chapter th- uh, sorry romans chapter 3 no one seeks god no one is looking for god no human heart is wanting to know god as much every human heart wants to go astray isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray everyone has gone through his own way but god the father is seeking and as god taps on your heart the heart of faith responds the heart of love responds to god's tapping on your heart we call that conviction uh, the holy spirit taps on your heart and you respond in faith and those who respond god draws them to christ come to my son he will give you eternal life because he has died and rose again risen again for you come to my son come to my son so jesus reveals personal access to god to the people who the father gives him and to the people entrusted to christ so god chooses the people who who respond to god god's work in their heart and he gives them to christ to finish the job number 2 what is jesus accomplished jesus helped people understand that god had sent him to save us i know this is heavy stuff this morning but stick with it and go back to your notes Jesus helped people understand that God has sent him to save us. 100 times over he kept saying, I have come here on behalf of my of my father and I've come here to take you back to the father, to take you back to the father, to take you back to the father, to take you back to the father. Question, what has Jesus come for? To take us back to the father. No, he didn't come to start a religion. No, he didn't come to te- give us good teachings. No, he didn't come to tell us how to live life on earth. Jesus came to get us out of here. He came to give us life to take, get us back to the Father. So Jesus helped people understand that God had sent him to the to save us. Number three, write this down. Jesus gave people God's word, which they received from Him. Jesus gave people God's word, which they received from Him. Or you could say that when they received Him, because He is the Word of God. So when they received Jesus. Jesus was giving them the very word of God. And number 4, people came to know the truth that Jesus was from God and they believed this to be true. People came to know the truth that Jesus was from God and they believed this to be true. So there is a dynamic here of God the Father seeking you out. He's seeking you out by name and you respond in faith. So he leads you to Jesus. This is not a winning of one faith over the other. this is not religions this is not philosophies the father doing a work are you understanding this this is once you understand this you'll understand how evangelism works god begins to work in the heart of a person now is god working in everyone's heart yes at some point but there are four different types of soils four different types of seasons and god is working in different people's lives at different times usually through times of pain and change which is why now is the ripest time for the gospel it's the ripest time for the gospel but we have an adverse view of that we think okay everybody's going through our time let's not lay them lay heavy the gospel on them right now we think ulta we think opposite we think adverse to that however uh 
God, God is the one who seeks people who are looking for him, whose hearts are warm towards him. God then leads them to Christ. That means they lead them to a church, to a believer, to the gospel, to the, the knowledge of God, to a podcast, to a sermon, to a piece of scripture, to a, to a word, to a dream. They, somewhere he lead them to finding Christ. And when they find Christ, then Jesus gives them the very words of life. They receive this word from Jesus and believe that Jesus is what? Come from God and Jesus can take me to God. And when they believe that Jesus is the one, the anointed one, the one who will kind of get me out of this water, not only save me, but take me to God. I grab onto Jesus and he takes me and he finishes the job. I, I turn to Christ. It is a, it is a, a moment of, 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 of compassion from God, a moment of salvation from Christ, a moment of desperate mercy calling from the sinner where he says, Lord, I realize who I am and where I'm at and only you can save me, save me. It's not a, I, I, oh yeah, this Jesus thing makes a lot of sense, you know. I feel a lot of peace in my heart when I come to church. No, I love the hymns. I love, no, 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 no. No, no, no. God is at work in our heart. God leads the person to Jesus, somehow or the other. And he uses you in that process. Did you hear me? He uses you in that process. And then when they, they brought to Jesus, they, Jesus gives them the word. Jesus is the evangelist. He gives them the word. And then they receive it from Jesus. And then he takes them to the next level. That's why he uses the word in verse 7. Look at verse 7. And now they know. And now they know. What do they know? That everything has been given to me. God has placed everything for life and godliness in my hands. Jesus is the one to go to if you want eternal life, if you want new life, if you want regeneration, if you want forgiveness, if you want healing, if you want to go to the Father. Everything that is of consequence is in Jesus and the one-stop shop. Why? Verse 8, for I gave it. What is that? My words, the truth. I gave it and they received it. You see this process? Now we're going by what I already said is now in scripture. I'm just telling you that they received it. What is the it? It's truth. That they have come to know the truth. That you sent me. That's the gospel. What's the gospel? That God sent Jesus to bring you back to himself. You don't become a Christian. You go home. You don't become a Christian. You go home. You come back to the Father. You come back to the Creator, the one who loved you, the one who created you, the one who has a purpose for your life, the one who knows you inside out and wants you to know Him like you know, like He knows you. For I gave them this truth and they received it. Verse 8, and they, they have believed that you sent me. They have believed. Now this they is very important because this they, T-H-E-Y, is what he's going to pray for, is whom he's going to pray for. Okay, you with me? So he's going to pray for the they. That's wrong English, but you get what I'm saying. Let's conclude. So in verse 8, he says, and they have believed that you sent me. The rest of the chapter will be the prayer for the they, these people. So this, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is the heart of the gospel, the crux, the central core of the gospel. You are not the center of the gospel. Your sin is not the center of the gospel. Wickedness and the brokenness of the world is not the center of the gospel. That God is the gospel. God is the center of the gospel. 
that God wants to know you is the center of the gospel. That Jesus has made that possible is the center of the gospel. Everything else was a, was a hurdle. Your sin, brokenness, man, wickedness, it's all a hurdle. But the, 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 the death of Christ makes it possible to remove that hurdle so that you may know him. 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 Listen carefully as I conclude. The goal of the atonement was for Jesus to restore a relationship with the spiritually dead and the author of life. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it slow. The goal of the atonement was for Jesus to restore a relationship between the spiritually dead and the author of life. Jesus would introduce those spiritually dead with the author of life. What do you think was going to happen once they met? That is himself thereby making possible the knowledge of the Holy One. To know the Holy One, the Father, by knowing Christ himself. Now the thing you must remember is that Jesus is God. And Jesus is one with the Father. And yes, we have this whole father-son thing going on, which I'll probably only understand when I get to heaven. But they are one. And if you meet Jesus, you meet God the Father. And if you come to Jesus, you come to God the Father. And if you come into Christ, you come into God the Father. You've read John 17, you heard that. You and me, I and you, they and me, all of that kind of thing. You come to it. So everything is in Christ. I'm going to read that again as I conclude. The goal of the atonement was for Jesus to restore a relationship of the spiritually dead with the author of life, himself thereby making possible the knowledge of the Holy One, the Father, by knowing Christ himself. So my friends, my brother and sister, today I come to Christ for eternal life. That's God's life, new life. Where is this life? It's in Christ. So I come to Christ to know God and have life. Today, I come to Christ to know the Father. Where is the Father? In Christ. If you met me, you've met the Father. Today, I come to Christ to, to know my value to God. Where is my value? It's in Christ. In Christ, I am a son of God. I am a child of God. I'm restored to God. I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. I am clean. I am a saint. I am all that God wants me to be and all that I need to be in order to have a relationship with God. I am that in Christ. So God the Father and you, my brother and sister, meet God the Father in Christ and he is the dwelling place. So Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me. When you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will have fellowship with God the Father. And he is in me and you are in me and we together are one. What's happening here? God the Father and God the Son were one. And the Holy Spirit, they are one. So there's, there's a community of three, yet they are one. We don't understand this. And in the same lack of understanding, we won't also understand how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has now brought you into the fellowship with the Father by placing you in Christ. You can't go from Trinity to Affinity. Okay? You can't go from Trinity to Affinity. There's no four people. 
So you have to go into one of them to have a relationship with God the Father. And God has made Jesus that. He has made Jesus the dwelling place. So the knowledge and position of access to God in Christ makes what Christ is about to do in your life. Please listen to this. I'm challenging you in this one statement. This knowledge and this position of access to Christ makes what Christ is about to do in your life supernatural, eternal, and worth abandoning every earthly thing for. There is no career. There is no love, life, sex, pleasure, indulgence, wealth. Nothing on earth, nothing on earth can compare with the joy and the power and the, and the worth of knowing Christ. Why? Because in knowing Christ and coming into Christ, you have access to the Father. You have citizenship in heaven. You have all your sin forgiven. You have all that you ask in prayer. That is the gospel. It would be too ambitious of me to expect all of that to come to light right now. So pray right now. Pray that the seed of the word that has been sown in your heart. Pray that this, these words that, that are almost tough to kind of all comprehend on a Sunday morning will unpack itself as you think and pray this out through the week. Go back to your notes. And remember, Jesus came to get you back to God so that you may know him, so that you may know him, so that you may know him. If Jesus did all that so that you may know him, do you know him? Is your life about knowing him? Is there any other priority or any other uh, attraction or distraction that is coming in the way of you making it your primary pursuit to know him? If Jesus made his life, the primary pursuit of his life to get you to know the father, then the primary pursuit of my life must be to know the father. Otherwise, I would be making all of Jesus, all that Jesus did redundant. Think, think, be challenged. Respond to God in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, take your word. Let it go the distance that my words and my wit cannot. Do what your word, what only your spirit can in the lives of these precious believers. Blow their heart open with the light of the gospel and the and the position, the privilege they have, the advantage they have by being in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.